Are we empowering the people we serve? Are we giving them better choices? Or are we enabling a level of control which for people in vulnerable situations can be extremely dangerous? Now, we may disagree on this a little bit. Calling the next grand bargain the great leap sideways. This is the podcast from hell. Grand bargain. Decolonizing aid. Humanity. Humanitarian action takes place at the edge of chaos. And to find the right answers, we need smart, honest conversations. That's what this podcast is about. Welcome to Humanitarian. I'm your host, Lars Peter Nissen. Humanitarian. Information technology has transformed almost every aspect of humanitarian action over the past decades. And as humanitarians, we pin a lot of hope on information technology to come and provide a quick fix to some of the problems we face. But is there also a downside to technology? And can we actually do harm with the way we use it? That was the topic of a keynote I gave together with Benjamin Lang at Cardoanche's annual conference a couple of weeks ago in Champigny. If you're not familiar with Cardoanche, you should check them out on the internet. They do really great work in terms of helping humanitarian and development organizations use technology better. It's a very thoughtful organization, and I really enjoy whenever I go to their conferences. They, it, they bring together a, a really geeky and, and interesting and qualified and fun crowd of people. You will hear the debate being moderated by Sandra Sudov, the technical director of Cardoanche. And I want to say a big thank you to Sandra and the whole team for letting me use the soundtrack for Humanitarian. If you're interested in watching the whole opening session of the conference, you can find it on YouTube. The link is in the show notes. Enjoy the conversation and don't forget to do your bit on social media. Like us, forward us, review us. It really helps. And now I'd like to introduce our two keynote speakers uh, for this morning. We have uh, Lars-Peter Niesen, uh, director of ACAPS. He is experienced in both sudden onset uh, disasters and also more protective crises. Um, he has been actually working in numerous crises across the world in these past 20 years. He has also importantly coined the term age to age. <laughs> which means humanitarian to humanitarian. And he's quite well known as a forward thinker on how aid and humanitarian assistance should be delivered and could be improved. And runs his podcast show, True Humanitarian, where he has honest conversations with sector specialists about what the humanitarian sector is and what it should be. And we also have Benjamin Lang, He's a responsible digital technology expert, uh, an independent consultant in digital strategy, operational improvement, and organizational and digital project management, with 10 plus years in, of expertise in especially supporting local authorities and public organizations in France. So you can see he's, uh, um, he's a green IT expert in France, really, and, and well known. He also teaches at the ESEP, uh, School of Digital Engineering in Paris, and he's a regular contributor to the Institut du Numérique Responsible with a think tank, basically. And last but not least, he is also very involved in the Fresque du Numérique, 
um, which is a collaborative awareness raising activity. And we all kind of invite you to come tonight, uh, as Edmore has pointed out, because we will hold such an activity tonight. So let me start with you, Lars. Um, so what is the promise of digital tech? And are we delivering uh, on fulfilling that promise? What do you think? Yeah. Um, so you said you wouldn't be wagging any fingers today. But I think I might be wagging one or two just, just to give you a heads up. I think if, if we want to understand the promise of tech, we, we have to start by, by thinking around the purpose of what we do. And the only way that makes sense for me to, to think about what, why are we actually here, what are we actually doing, is to say that in one way or another, we are all engaged in enhancing the agency of crisis-affected population to more clever use of data and tech. So it's really about the, the agency of the people affected by crisis, the ones we used to call beneficiaries. What does agency mean in this sense? I think it essentially means more choice, freedom to be and to do. And we're talking about highly marginalized people without a lot of choices. I see it as our job to make sure that they have better choices. You could say that, <clears throat> you could say that we have, in a sense, been operating with sort of a wholesale model of aid, where we treat everybody the same way. And I think one of the promises that, that tech uh, gives us is that we can move towards more of a retail approach, where the individual situation of the, the, the individual family, of the individual person, is, is much more taken into account in terms of the services we provide. Now, that's difficult. And I think it's difficult for two reasons. One. We operate in a sector where we are strung out between upward accountability and downward accountability, as we sometimes call it, between serving the people who give us the money and the people who receive the services. And I think you can sort of see two scenarios happening there. On one side, we all know that tech lends itself very well to creating a better user experience for the recipient of services, but we also know that tech is very good at concentrating power. And my first wagging finger may be that when we happily go about developing apps or introducing new tech in our organizations, are we really thoroughly thinking through the implications of that tech? What are we actually doing? Are we empowering the people we serve? Are we giving them better choices? Or are we enabling a level of control which for people in vulnerable situations can be extremely dangerous. We've seen several examples of uh, data, individual data being leaked, hacked, and obviously posing a threat for the individuals that that data came from. Now, how aware are we of, of that? And if we talk about do no harm, I think we have to think about that. So I think one, one danger is the, the, the double-edged sword of tech the great promise, the great possibility to, to serve people better, but also actually making them more vulnerable to the powers that be. Then I think as a second thing, we have to look at ourselves as a community and especially a highly technical, skilled audience like this. We, you know, I see a lot of unnecessary data collection still. We've been talking for 10, 15 years about don't just collect data do it for, with a purpose, make sense, not data, right? But I still see a lot of sort of uh, tech happy clapping, if you want, 
I do this because the machine can do it. Look what I've produced. Look at my drone flying around. Isn't that great? No, it's not actually great because nobody can use that data for anything. So I think as a community, we have to be very self-critical. And we really have to think about what I'm doing right now. What's the use case? How does that improve the situation of the people affected by crisis? Who's going to use this data? Why is that drone out there? Is that the best way of solving that problem? And, and I agree with you, Sandra. I think it has gotten better. I think things have improved, but I still, we, we have to be so careful because this, this tech is so seductive. It's so beautiful. It's so fantastic what we can do. So please check yourself and just ask, are you chasing, are you chasing the newest shiny thing? Or are you actually improving operations, changing the outcome of a crisis, giving more agency to crisis-affected populations? Thank you. Thank you so much, Lars Peter. That's quite a lot of food for thought. I like the, I like the way that you put it, the, the happy tech clapping, but also the idea to really think through that the technology should be used to empower local people, which I think is maybe a key thing that we need to take away from here. Um, Benjamin, we also often have the impression that a lot of what we do as a digital experts is immaterial. Uh, it's not always to have easy to have like clear and concise figures, but can you give us an overview of what are the different very material components of the IT and IM infrastructure that we build and use and their associated environmental impact? So in other terms, what is the relative place of tech in the much wider environmental crisis we are in? Okay. Um, thank you, Sandra. Um Hello, everyone, and uh, I'm very happy to be here with you. Um, okay, yeah, you, you pointed actually really right. Uh, we do often consider digital as uh, immaterial. Uh, it's obviously wrong, uh, but we have reasons to believe so. Um, I don't know, um, uh, during, during 30, 40 years, um, digital has been uh, marketed uh, with words and catchphrases such as uh, dematerialization, or it's going to save trees. Um, in the last 10 years, it's been you know, mainly marketed with cloud, so it's really immaterial. You don't know, you, you don't know where the material is. Um, you know, one, one way to, um, uh, to get a sense of how these images are anchored in our society is to just have a, uh, do a web search of the world digital in an image database on the internet. And it's really funny. I don't know if you've done that already, but it's really funny. You've got uh, two kinds of pictures. Uh, you've got the one, you know, with the, all the young people, you know, in the dark room, and they are looking at a digital um, virtual screen, and they are just pointing out points, points of lights, which are dashboards or shots. It's really magical. And there's another version of it where you have no people at all. Okay, this time it's just a device or something coming out of the blue, and once again it's dots. You know, a light, lightning bolts, uh, lightning dots, uh, representing charts or data, uh, etc. And I, I, I think it's really interesting to uh, just think about it and think about the messages that are um, contained in these images. Um, the messages are uh, generally that it's uh, digitally speed, it's power, it's uh, light. Because remember, all the rest of the room is dark, and you know the points of light. Uh, and it's science and it's science fiction. But the truth is, it is not fiction at all. It is material. The truth is, it's, it's not fiction. 
So if I put it simply, um, our digital uses are possible only because we use a lot, a lot of material. Um, the way to see it is just to divide these materials in three categories or three blocks, three tiers. The first one will be user devices. It's uh, you know all the laptops, the smartphones, the desktop, the monitors, um, IoT objects, um, TVs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There are tons of it. Actually, there are 34. We estimate that there are 34 billions of devices running in the world. That's a lot. Clearly, um, the second tier, second block is network. Uh, you can't do anything without network. And network, there are uh, the physical network, like uh, um, yeah, fiber, cable, all this. You've got the mobile network, and you also have the satellite networks. Um, to do so, you need material once again. You need the cables that can be in the land and can be submarine cables, and you hear about this uh, quite recently. You've got antennas, you've got routers, switches, um, all this. And there's another component that, uh, that make our digital world possible. And this component, and I saw that in the in the keywords you, you put on uh, with the first question, with the second question, sorry. Um, there are data centers. Data centers are just big houses where you have a lot of servers, and that's where you know all the data are processed and are, um, all is stored. And once again, you, you need a lot of things in it. Um, so uh, let's let me rephrase it once again. Without these materials, you have no usage. You have no Instagram, you have no Google, you have no Netflix, um, you, know, you, you don't have any use you're doing. Um, and you know, guess what? It's uh, because it's material that digital has environmental impacts. So what are these impacts? I'm long? No, no, no you're still good. You're okay, still good. Please go on, it's, it's super interesting. Um, what are these impacts? And there are many of them, actually, and that's uh, one of the difficult aspects of it. Uh, let me point out uh, three main um, impacts. The first one would be, uh, and, and you told it, energy and GHG, uh, greenhouse gas emissions. Um, of course, that's the first thing you think about, you can think about is um, when we uh, use all these devices, all these equipments, we're going to use energy. And as we use energy as 85% of the energy in the world is from fossil fuels, we're going to have some greenhouse gas emissions. Um, okay, um, this um, energy, of course, uh, we are uh, we're using energy when we use our devices, but that's only one part of the equation. We also use energy when we manufacture our products, and that's that can be a lot. Actually, that can be a lot. So um, to get figures, because you asked me about figures, and I try to to get. Good figures. Um, we estimate, well, sci not science, but literature estimate that um, digital is responsible for 4% of uh, primary energy consumption. So that's energy. And if I, um, if I decline in its uh, little cousin, which is GHG emissions, uh, literature estimate that its uh, digital world is responsible yearly uh, between 2.1% and 3.9% of total GHG emissions in the world. So that's the uh, figures and you don't really get what it means. Uh, to give you points of comparison, 4% uh, of, of GHG emissions uh, every year is uh, nearly the same as the lorry fleet, the truck fleet, fleet in the world. So that's not nothing, that's something. Um, and, um, and we consider that um, 
the uh, digital world is responsible for more GHG emissions than the total civil tra uh, airplane traffic in the world. So that's not nothing once again. But um, more interesting is the trends, because, okay, that's a figure, but you need to see the trends. And uh, you know, there's a Paris, uh, a Paris Agreement, everyone should you know, go down, and um, pre provision for uh, the digital world is just you know, increasing. And some projections uh, put it at seven to 8% total GHG emissions in 2025, so tomorrow. And uh, this would be uh, as much as the commercial buildings. So um, on this uh, footprint, GHG footprint, two-thirds of this footprint in the digital world is caused by uh, the um, devices. You know, you remember there are three tiers, devices, network, and data centers. Two-thirds of the GHG emission is only on the devices. And on this two-thirds, two-thirds of these two-thirds are caused by manufacturing of the devices. So we got something here. And you know what? Remember, there's 34 billions of devices. Remember, that's why. We've got here a huge challenge. Um, <laughs> I knew I had. I would, uh, I would, uh, <laughs> it would be longer than, uh, than you thought. Um, the second impact would be uh, what we call abiotic resources depletion. In other words, depletion of minerals, stocks, and fossil fuels. Um, let me do it quite shortly. Um, our support devices, smartphones, laptops, etc., um, to be super, need lots, lots of materials. There are more than 50, 60 metals into our smartphones today. Um, and um, to get a sense of how digital is towards uh, other industries, there are only uh, three industries in the world that are consuming as much metals as the digital. The two other ones are defense and aeronautics. And actually, there's a newcomer, which is energy transition. Now, all these industries are uh, really uh, need lots of metals to do to, to be operating. Um, and why depletion? Because uh, actually, um, if you every time you you're going to need metal, you're going to dig into the earth, and every time you dig into the earth, uh, the resource becomes um, becomes more rare or scarce. Um, last impact, and I promise I'll stop after that. Um, and you put it, uh, you, someone pointed out also, uh, I like it, it's e-waste. Um, our digital world is producing a lot, a lot of waste. Um, e-waste is, uh, there's a figure uh, in the world which is 53.6 millions of tons of e-waste are produced every year. Of course, all not these 53.6 uh, uh, millions of tons are not caused by digital, we estimate that it's around 20% of these 50.3 millions of tons that are caused by digital. But the thing is, in digital, it's really, really hard to recycle. Um, major parts uh, cannot be recycled and will end up in uh, incineration landfills. And when I say major parts, it's more than 90%. So put it simply, um, our digital equipments are not recycled and they're not using recycled uh, metals neither. So um, to summarize, um, digital has multiple impacts. It's a contributor or a major contributor to these impacts, and the trends are not going the good way. Thanks, Benjamin. <laughs> I mean, the... <laughs> whilst I think at least I myself have heard some of the things before, like the the, the whole the whole magnitude that you're putting out there is is. Uh, 
is uh, rather breathtaking, but in in a bad way. Um, so maybe let's let's have a have another question. So our main arguments in in favor of the use of all these digital tools and and data processing tools is basically operational efficiency, and and better knowledge and the quality of interventions. And we really need this to have better quality um, quality in our interventions, etc. But I'm just wondering how short-term is this in terms of a vision uh, when we sometimes hear that in 30 years we might not actually have the material anymore to build all the, the tools and the technologies that we, that we need for all of our software and all of the things that we've built. So this is a question that goes to both of you, but um, maybe Benjamin, you want to start out first? Yeah, um, um, let me start with this. First of all, um, let me say that the aim is good. Um, you, you said it, all of you, you said it, uh, you're, collecting the, you're collecting data for something good. So the aim is good and you should not forget about this. Um, then the thing which is going wrong is maybe the way you do, we are doing it, uh, you are doing it, well, everyone is doing it. Um, basically, we, um, I, I told you there's a huge challenge on devices and uh, we change devices too often, too soon. Uh, and when we do a data management project, for example, and uh, that needs uh, that requires uh, high specifications, you're gonna have you're gonna provoke uh, obsolescence, and you're gonna make uh, devices change. Um, then, other thing which is wrong in the project is generally IT resources are sur allocated for no good reasons. You know, you you you'd rather go with uh, like three servers in the back because you you say, oh, in case we have something, but nothing never happens. Um, and um, another reason why it's sometimes uh, doing in the wrong way is that uh, tech is, uh, de is deployed while it could have been uh, made it simpler. Uh, otherwise, you know, we, that's what you were saying, like we, we're obsessed with technology and so we're going into the next uh, new thing without thinking that we could have done it in another way simpler. Um, so yes, if we keep on doing this, uh, um, errors that are really common, like you're doing it, I'm doing it, everyone's doing it. But if we keep on doing these uh, these errors at the current pace, yes, sure, we're gonna we're gonna face some shortages, shortages of uh, metals, uh, so shortages of energy also. And remember, there's no recycling, uh, there's no use of recycling materials, and we need a lot of material. So um, so yes. Um, um, that's a that's a challenge here, uh, and um, and remember also that you're not uh, digital is not the only industry that's going to need some metals. You know there's going to be competition between the industries. So yeah, we've got to do something. Um, let me um, put someone who is called Olivier Vidal, uh, and he's saying that uh, we'll extract the same amount of copper in the next 30 years. That's all that we've been extracting since the uh, antiquity. So yes, we are going faster in uh, consuming metals. And uh, um, so the question is, uh, knowing that, what to do now to avoid shortages? We're not gonna you know, uh, keep on, uh, on watching this. Um, so much more can be done. Uh, and uh, if we don't want this situation to happen, um, eco-designing projects and services uh, should be uh, faster and uh, should be amplified uh, in, in order to increase lifespan of devices. Uh, collecting e-waste should be uh, better and uh, give a second life to uh, all devices should be uh, mandatory and uh, repairing should be also uh, something uh, we should do. Uh, but 
definitely though so you understand we're going to face the shortages shortages if we don't change the way we're doing things there are solutions and uh, the solutions are not only because uh, um, will be possible only with three um, three components like citizens governments and organizations so all of three have to move uh, collectively to 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 make things change uh, in order to stop you know the errors we're doing uh, re repeating um, and uh, you were talking about pen and paper just before um, just to 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 it's not absurd to think about pen and paper. Look, I've got a pen and paper here. Uh, but um, let me tell you about uh, two examples I'm thinking about and which are really interesting. Um, recently in France, we had um, cyber attacks on the hospitals. Uh, you know, everything was blocked. So uh, what happens is that patients are going to other hospitals and the ones who are staying in the hospital, um, physicians are uh, with uh, paper notes. No. So uh, always keep a paper and a pen and paper next to you. It can be really useful. And the second example is a more personal one. Uh, I was uh, I was doing uh, this uh, workshop, the Fresque du Numérique Digital College, a month ago. It was in a building, and there was a shortage of energy uh, in the in the area. So no energy at all. So I saw all the people in the building just leaving and going home because they have no work. You know, all the computers were just down. And you're going to see the workshop is just with cards, paper cards, and we were still working. So keep in mind that uh, it can be really useful to keep a little bit of pen and paper. <laughs> Thank you, Major. <laughs> so Lars, how do you see it? Yeah, I'm, I'm not an expert on this, so, but, but a couple of things came to mind when, when you posed this question, right? And I think it's really, I, I really think it's excellent we're having this discussion, right? Greening of the sector, and what you brought up, Benjamin, the you know, sort of graceful degradation, how can we make sure we can continue to operate when we're in, uh, when, when the environment is, is, uh, is degrading, right? At the same time, let, let's get scale into this. The humanitarian sector is the size of the bubblegum industry, right? The world uses as much money chewing gum as it does helping people affected by crisis. In other words, we are a fairly small industry. Now, if we begin to face a situation where we can't produce our wonderful gadgets. You know, I'm sure other bigger industries will be faced by that equally and that they will come up with the solution. So it's not, I'm not saying that may not happen. I think it is likely to happen. I also think this, the, the solution to that problem will come from outside. So I think again, <clears throat> again, back to what are we actually doing? Who, who are going to be the first people deprived of tech if it becomes scarce. Exactly the people we try to serve. And if you look at how digitized our world is today, if suddenly you are displaced and you can't access the internet, you don't have a smartphone, maybe you have an old phone, that, that's probably an, an sort of a, an important event for you. Right? And so are we again focusing on our own ability to operate and oh my God, what if we can't find a computer to run our new database? Are we looking at the people that we're trying to help affected by crisis? And what is the impact in their lives if they can't access tech? Thank you, Lars Peter. I have uh, one last question uh, for you both. Uh, it's a short question. <laughs> and that's basically, what do you think uh, I am in our sector will look like in 
30 years. So Lars, maybe you want to actually go first. I don't know. I, I think that's, a, that's an extremely difficult, uh, extremely difficult question to, to answer. But I think the, the dream scenario, of course, would be that we are in a world where the user experience of being affected by crisis is much better. That actually all of us humanitarians, that our job is to bring services to, to the people affected by crisis, and then they can choose what they want. Then we give them better choices. Right? Again, as you can hear, I have basically have one message. Let's not forget about the people that this is really about. Let's not get self-absorbed into our uh, little echo chamber. Let's not be servants to the donors. Let's focus on what really matters, namely the people affected by crisis. And so how do we do that? I think, what's the use case? How, whenever you do something, you know, Amazon has an empty chair in their boardroom represent, representing the consumer. Do we really make the consumer king, the customer king in our industry? How do you do that? How do you do that in your daily life? I think that's the challenge. How do we push towards this retail experience? Some of the people affected by crisis are displaced for 10, 15 years. It's not, it's not a three-week thing. How do we assist them over that span, that, that time, time span to have better choices, to have a better life? And three sort of wishes from my side when we, we go about our business of developing uh, our business model. One thing is robustness. I think we just spoke about that. We have to be really careful that we don't become dependent on tech that may be deprived either because of scarcity of, of natural resources or because the government shuts off the internet. Right? So, so are we actually, can we actually do graceful degradation, I think is one thing. Secondly, can we please stop developing proprietary systems for the humanitarian sector and try to use some of the wonderful platforms that are being generated by companies far bigger than us, that, that, are, that update them far better than we do, that have far better security. I think we still are too, it, it's too um, local. Like we, we, we really, I, I still see initiatives like, yeah, I've seen that on the market. Why, why are you spending scarce resources developing this? And then uh, just the last point from my side, who are you creating value for? In your daily work, who are you creating value for? Thank you. Thanks, Lars Peter. <clears throat> and I have to say you're not off the hook yet because I have one more question after all. <laughs> um, Benjamin, what do you think? How this, how it could look like in 30 years. Um, okay, this time I'm not the expert, clearly, of your sector. Um, so I took my little magical box, uh, magical ball yesterday, and tried to to figure it out. Um, so the way I see it, uh, or I dream maybe it, uh, is uh, that you are all using uh, refurbished devices. Uh, it's the new normality. Ah, stop uh, buying new devices. Thank you. Uh, you're gonna use refurbished. Um, Hardwares for data collection and for data use. Even you know drones, like you're not building drones anymore, using refurbished drones, for example. Um, the devices you're using in 30 years are not very different from uh, what they are right now. I mean, they're super powered. You can do a lot of things with the devices right now. Of course, in 30 years, you can say, oh yeah, I can do many, many things more, but no, you don't need it. So uh, keep on, uh, you, you've got material which is quite the same as they are today. Um, 
the way I see it is also uh, commons are more developed. Um, you have a common data, uh, data sorry, um, which are shared within uh, between organizations. You don't need to uh, have to uh, gather data that are that are existing. Now it's mandatory to have you know common database and you you sharing it really effect effectively. Um, the way I see it maybe is also. Um, Donors uh, or central agency don't push you to use the super high tech uh, as they are closely monitored by civil society and uh, they have um, maybe a financial, um, you know, um, uh, they have to pay taxes if uh, they ask you to use uh, super high tech things that are political, that are doing uh, envi environmental harm. And uh, maybe one last thing is that. Uh, uh, you're not gonna like it, but uh, all your projects uh, have a, must have a, an environmental um, assessment before going uh, and uh, why going on. Uh, so it's uh, more work to do for you, but it's uh, compulsory. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. I, I do, after all, have a question, uh, and that's basically what can we give to the audience in terms of what key questions should we uh, ourselves asking uh, when we are starting a new um, IAM or data-driven project to understand the environmental impact it could have? Um, whilst Benjamin uh, yeah, okay, <laughs> already said that um, there could still be done things done with yeah. pen and paper, <laughs> um, of course, we there are some aspects where we will not go back to it. Um, but maybe you have suggestions for these data practitioners here in the room on uh, designing of a more virtuous or more sober, or more sustainable IAM systems. And, um, and also we talk about responsible data practices, but how can this materialize from an environmental perspective? So this is a question also for both of you. Uh, Benjamin, yeah, if you wanna? Yeah. Um, okay, I would say there are three principles and there are then uh, actions you to, to do. Three principles are um, avoid obsolescence in all your projects, then um, use only uh, what is necessary, you know, don't do more than you need. And the third principle would be uh, assess the need for uh, for going digital. If you don't need to go digital, don't go, okay? That, that are the three principles you have to keep in mind. Then uh, I would say that there are um, three sets of questions you should ask to yourself. Uh, the first ones are really common to any data management projects, like good principles. Um, is, uh, is there a need analysis? Is there a use case? You, you pointed out really clearly also uh, earlier. Um, is uh, my data, are my data and my metadata specified and documented so you can use it through the times? Uh, of course, if you're doing, you know, it's, it's always a, you know, that's one thing which is really interesting. In a, if you're looking at the environmental side, is uh, um, all the whole life cycle of your project. You know, you're doing a project for one time, but it's going to keep on living, and so you have to be able to keep on maintaining all this data. So if you don't document it, of course, nobody's going to be able to maintain it afterwards. Um, so yeah, document it uh, and uh, respect common standards uh, and uh, define a policy for uh, archiving and uh, deleting your, your your data. But that's something I'm pretty sure you're doing. I hope you're doing, uh, and that's uh, really common in data management. Then uh, you, you've got a whole sets of questions, a set of questions about environment, 
uh, again, do I need uh, these data projects? Because uh, the more data you have, uh, uh, the more resources uh, resources you're gonna you're gonna use, and resources are SSD or HDD, so hard drives is, uh, plus other materials. So uh, and uh, that has an impact. Believe me. Um, then uh, question would be like. To avoid, you know, um, very large amounts of data, for example, real-time data or um, uh, pictures, and uh, especially satellite pictures, are taking a lot of space. So maybe think if you can do another way, just do another way. Or if you need it, just think about a, a good policy for archiving or deleting because it's going to take too much space and you're going to uh, mobilize too much uh, resource. Um, what can I tell you? Is the data already collected? Uh, is already collected, and can I reuse it? Uh, how can I make my data collection sober? Uh, can I use low-tech, uh, low-tech uh, devices instead of uh, drones, uh, IA, or whatever? Um, is my service eco-design? You know, when I'm going to use my data, is it eco-design or not? Uh, is it usable on all devices with poor network conditions in order to avoid obsolescence once again? Uh, and uh, then there are a couple of questions about uh, where do you host your data? Is it uh, is it in good data center? Is it is the energy really uh, proper? Uh, is it uh, good energy or not? Uh, and uh, and uh, also there's um, and, and and you see me coming. There's also a whole set of questions, and I'm not going to you know uh, keep on talking because I talk too much. But uh, a whole set of questions about ethics and uh, who's Who's hosting your data is really important because uh, guess what? There's a um, cloud, uh, cloud act, uh, if I remember well, which is uh, the ability of the US government to just um, have a look at your data, whatever, or if it is hosted in the US or if the data center is using US components. So it's, you have to keep an eye on this. Okay. Thank you, Benjamin. <laughs> and Lars, what do you think can be done? Yeah, I'm going to ask you to do three things that will make your life more difficult. Firstly, focus on building systems that really enables a tailored experience for the individual affected by crisis, but without exposing them to danger because you collect data at the individual level. Secondly, push back on your colleagues who may be less tech proficient than you are when they come and want something they don't need. Tell them you don't need that. I don't build these systems that just collect the data that nobody ever looks at. And thirdly, let's move from just collecting and storing data to actually building some really powerful visualizations that hold our own decision makers accountable. So make your bosses' lives more difficult by using tech to show the consequences of their choices by highlighting what they actually choose to do and not to do so that we have greater accountability and we serve the people we, 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 we work for Better. Thank you. So thank you, first of all, very much for both of you, Lars Peter and, and Benjamin, for actually being part and really having this inspiring debate. I think you brought very interesting thoughts. I'll, I'll still have uh, things in my head. I, the bubblegum industry, I think that was the stick in my head for a little while longer. And also, of course, all these uh, mind-blowing, staggering figures that you've brought on the billion devices and what it all means. I think there are quite of many foods for thoughts and things to take away from what you've both uh, brought today and I think this was an excellent opening for our three days conference to you know set the pace, set the path in life and dream. Souls of men beyond what you see. Stages are different for each who will lead. 
cycles of outsiders that get fat checks, fly in, fly out of places with slums and jets. Ask better questions, pick apart, educate, and knowing is safe, we're here to build and debate. We are, we are searching for more. Open up your mind beyond rich or poor for the truth. You've been warned. Humanitarian. <laughs>